0: Morning show, Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, 7 o'clock tonight. On Sportsnet, you have the Toronto Maple Leafs and Dallas Stars renewing acquaintances for the second and final time this season. Leafs beat them 4-1, seventh game of the season. They did not face Jake Ottinger in that game. They mm. Scott Wedgwood, beat them. Yep. They will likely not face Jake Ottinger in tonight's game, as he was outstanding in his first game of the second half against the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> probably shouldn't need to be outstanding against the Buffalo Sabres, but he had to be and made forty seven saves on route to a two one victory yesterday. So not likely to get the start at all against any Leafs team this season. Ilya Samsonov in net for mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs. So his three game personal winning streak snapped on Monday against the New York Islanders, where he wasn't bad. Nope. You and I both saw the same things mm-hmm. though, that like he looks like not that comfortable yeah. at the beginning of that game and we'll say that Ilya Sorokin looked better and outdueled him, just like factually, Uh eye test-wise and numbers-wise. But considering, like, if we're grading on a scale here, we've seen Ilya Samsonov at his worst cost Uh the Maple Leafs hockey games. He didn't do that on Monday. But yeah, we're still in the evaluation process of understanding what Ilya Samsonov you're going to get the rest of the season, and especially what you're going to get into April and
1: hopefully May and June. Yeah, I think I think the idea of Samsonov being back is all dependent on what you thought of him heading into this. If you think back means that he is the guy that was getting Sammy Chance left, right, and center at Scotiabank last year and beating the Lightning in a series, I don't think he's back to that yet. No, but is he back to the medium level of what we or the median level of what we've seen of him here. Yeah, I, I do think he he's there, but I think we're also still going to be for honestly the foreseeable future in a place where you're watching every start early on in the game saying, okay, which version of the guy do you get tonight? Where is he at? Because I think even the people who are the most bullish on him, still have that lack of comfortability in terms of what you're going to get night in and night out. And that's what happens when you have a lotto ticket goaltender. There, There's different versions of this, right? There's the Martin Jones that we saw earlier where the floor is higher, but the ceiling's much lower. And with Samsonov, you have the opposite. Like, the floor's lower, but the ceiling is much higher. And I think that that's just, like, that's the bet you're making here.
0: And I think the adage around this team needing just average goaltending out of what they've got, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it necessarily applies anymore. Honestly. Um, part of that is the the personnel they have in regards to playing the same defensive style of hockey that earned them, yep. rightly, the reputation as one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. And, like, look at all the statistics. Yeah, it was Ilya Samsonov with a super high save percentage, but look at the way that team played at their absolute best. They were just, they were not allowing chances. So part of it is that they don't have that. But also part of it is, like, steam. Despite the fact they have one guy on this unbelievable goal-scoring tear, they're not scoring a ton, right? Like, this is also a team that was top five in goals four per game. They're not. They're top ten, but just, like, barely that. Yep. This team needs better than average goaltending. The bar for success at that position is different in 23-24 than it was in
1: 22-23. Yeah, they do need a better goaltender than I think they needed last year, but... I mean, this is the nature of the sport that we talk about is they needed that in the regular season. But guess what? When the playoffs rolled around, they needed Samsonov to be better than average. They needed him to outduel duel yeah. And he did for the bulk of that series. So I think that, you know, I'm not going to say that you don't take anything away from this regular season, but... I think it's just we've seen teams that have been defensively stout and then all of a sudden playoffs roll around. And you need your goalie to be great. Like, we have seen that before, and that's not me saying, oh, it's okay, Samsonov will need to be just okay. No, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case, but I'm i am I'm done with the idea of, of actually having a handle on what this team is in any given year. Like, we just see Jekyll and Hyde so often, and I think part of that, this is more of this year thing than this core as a whole, is that, You just see that that's the case for a lot of teams in the league. The Kings, we were talking about them like they were going, not cup contenders, like we should just give them the cup right now. And then they fired their coach. They Mm -hmm. fell off a cliff in such a way. I just think this is what you see in a league with so few truly, truly elite teams is that you have stretches of play where you look like one team and you have stretches of play where you look Mm -hmm. like another. According to Sheldon Keefe, it's too much that you look like the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, We played the the
0: earlier on in the show that at yesterday's media availability after practice talked about, hey, it's our job to get the best out of this team. We've only been able to do that about 50% of the time this season. I will say, if you're looking at the recent run of play, I wouldn't say Monday was a lack of effort, maybe a lack of attention to detail, especially when it comes to Timothy Lilligren on a power play and somebody getting behind him coming out of the box. But yeah, solid effort there. Certainly, one of their best efforts of the season in their final game before the All Star break on Hockey Night in Canada in Winnipeg. Uh, let's see if they can get back in the win column tonight against a very good Dallas Stars team. Time now for our insider, who is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus.com. It is Craig Simpson of Hockey Night in Canada and SportsNet. How's it going, Craig? Doing okay, thanks. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So, to that uh, point that Sheldon Keith made yesterday about this team only playing to its potential about 50% of the time, you, you've you seen plenty of Leaf games this season. One, does that track to you? Does that sound about right? And two, what does that say about this team that they've only played to their potential about half the time?
2: Well, I, you know what? I'm not sure about the percentages. He'd have a better feel of it than that. But, uh, you know, there's no question that they haven't been a... Um, it hasn't been a year where they've been at their best every single night. Um, you know, I, I think that you go through the, the little ups and downs throughout a season at times where you you find a way to lose games and then you get little stretches where maybe you're not playing your best and you find a way to win. Uh, I, I think it's probably happened more than um Sheldon would definitely feel good about uh, you know listening to his press conferences after uh I think a common theme or a more common than he would like has been you know we played okay we played didn't play poorly but we played just poorly enough to find a way to lose so I don't think there's any question that they, they haven't been able to put it all together uh, throughout the year. And, and that's where it starts to get frustrating, I'm sure. as your, If you're standing behind the bench, the guy who's responsible of getting them there
1: yeah i mean you're you're certainly seeing the frustration bubble up again you mentioned the comment he had the other day about you know fifty percent of the time you're you're getting what you need and the other time you're looking for more. He also had the pretty pointed comment of peewee stuff uh when when talking about uh letting the the defend or the uh, McLean come out of the box there and and bite them against the aisles. What do you make the idea of Sheldon Keith being more openly critical? I mean this has been a talking point there's been times he's walked this back in the market, but it does seem like he's taking a little more of an aggressive tact, at least publicly, with his team. Do you think that's a guy that, because of the extension, maybe he's a little more secure in where he's at, or maybe it's the opposite. He he realizes that if it doesn't work out this time, the writing could be on the wall, so he might as well try it. What do you make of Keefe's publicly critical comments?
2: I don't know. I I think you, you can't try to be somebody who you're not. So I guess, you know, certain coaches have uh, a personality or demeanor and a comfort level of of speaking the way that they do, and and others uh, sometimes don't have that uh, in them in in the sense of being critical or being open. Um, You know, you just look at the weekend of listening at times to Rick Talkett. You know, Rick Talkett's a different personality than Sheldon Keith. Do you like one? Do you like the other? Uh do players react to one differently than the other? I, I think at the end of the day you just gotta be true to how you feel and be open. And I, all your players want is is the you know, honesty. Can you talk to them openly? Can you be there for them to discuss things that are right or wrong? In this market, you're you're never going to win to just try to do everything to appease the fans. You've got to be who you need to be to make sure that you can motivate your players to get what you want. So I don't think any of the players are worried about uh, criticism at times. Uh, I, I think probably, you know, look what you do every morning. You've got to sit and talk about what's going around the team. So mm. uh, it's it's just inevitable that you're going to have an opinion one way or another. I, I think you ought to look as a coach and look at your team and say, what's going to be the best method to try to turn this around or try to get my, the best out of my players? And I think a little criticism is never something that, uh, uh, you know, can go wrong.
0: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. He also did talk about, hey, like maybe we're we're just having a little note about the the Timothy Lilligren perhaps misplay on the power play on Monday if we score the number of goals that we're capable of scoring in that game. And that's been the focus of our conversation in the, this recent fallow uh, point when it comes to goal scoring. Obviously, Austin Matthews, you can't fault him for for the number of goals he's putting in the back of the net. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier on in the show Max Domi and and Tyler Bertuzzi not exactly filling it up. It's been December twenty seventh uh, was the last time Tyler Bertuzzi scored a goal. How do you feel about the depth scoring on this Leafs team?
2: Oh, there just hasn't been any. You know that's that's about as simple as you can get on that. So uh, I don't think there's any question that you know one of the shortcomings in this stretch uh, have been they're, they're just there hasn't been any depth at all. You go down the list, uh, you mentioned Domi, you know, one goal in 18. Bertuzzi, I'm looking, one goal in 28. Um, nice hasn't scored in 16. Uh, I mean, you're you you, you you're relying upon the same three, four people uh, to get your goals each and every night, and, and that's a system that doesn't work all that well. So I don't think there's any question that... Uh, you can go. You can check the boxes off of uh, second, third line, fourth line guys who have not been contributing offensively, and and that's a tough scenario to try to come out and get on a, a good run of consistent winning if uh, if you're not getting that production, and that that's something that's got to change if this um, team expects to go deep and to be. You know, a team that's going to be hard to beat come playoff time. You, you can't have to just focus on one or two guys to go, putting the puck in the net every night.
0: Well, and in the case of Bertuzzi and Domi, this and Bertuzzi does have a thirty goal season, but but Domi's in, been in and around twenty goals in a in a season before. Those are guys that have shown the ability to put the puck in the back of the net. Obviously, the the primary responsibility lies with them to just do it. But, like, is there something that Sheldon Keefe can do as far as putting them in the correct position? I also mentioned the ice time that those two guys have gotten, specifically Domi, the lowest of his entire career. Are there situations, like, do you look at maybe giving one or both of them an opportunity on power play one just for just to get their, their scoring touch back? Like, is there something that can be done outside of their own control to
2: put them in better situations? Uh, I mean, yes and no. You're always looking at the your the players on your in your lineup and say who's given me more who's got the opportunity to to give me more on a given night and uh, you have to have the confidence both offensively and defensively to put them in a position to to get that ice time I don't think there's any question you can say okay um, maybe you're just forced to out of necessity but it's something that you get in the course of a game and you look down and say who's giving me the minutes that I need and uh, I think at times as a coach you can get stuck into that mode of of going with the same look or the same guys time and time again but you know the the numbers don't necessarily lie you look and say that they deserve to be playing You know, an extra five, six, seven minutes uh, on a a nightly basis. There might be a few nights where you go, okay, that line looks like they're going. But uh, far often this group's been relying upon, you know, the the same three or four guys uh, too much. And at some point, you know, I I look at, again, a guy like Matthew Nides who's been able to play with top, two lines pretty much this whole time and at at some point you say okay well you're trying hard but you you know you go back and you're not getting the kind of production that you need out of these guys at the time and uh sooner or later you know something's got to change if you're not getting it
1: what do you make of the idea then of kind of really breaking things up here I mean you know if we're you know we've changed the core four to the core five once Riley got signed but if we're going to keep it to the forwards you know there's a world where you can you know let's say you keep Nylander and Tavares together but you put Matthews you know for lack of a better term by himself and then you put Marner with a a guy like Domi if depth scoring is a problem for this team and I think we all agree that it is right now what do you make of the idea of doing that of spreading out the wealth uh, among the lineup I mean I know you want Want your best players playing with each other to you know maximize their strength. but if you need to get depth scoring going, I mean you know you look at a guy like Marner. There's no reason he can't offensively drive a line, and same goes for Matthews or, or Nylander as well.
2: Well, I think those guys have driven lines, so he, he, you know it's it's an easy easy thing to sit and take a deck of cards and put three cards together and put the numbers, whatever they are, and say go. But again, you're in the business of trying to win games. So it's not as simple as as having confidence with it. I remember as a coach sitting in the coach's room and you look at the board with your names up there and you get one line that looks good. And you say, "Oh yeah, that you know that's a line that's going to work." And then all of a sudden, you look at what it does to the other three lines. You go, "No, I hate that line, and I hate <laughs> that line." And it's it's every coaching staff in the league. You go through stretches of that, and you know, look at look at the Oilers. Uh, you know, I know they lost last night, but uh, you, you look at their stretch, and it's been a long talk. Okay, do you separate? Your two best players. Do you trickle them down? At some point, though, it's got to be somebody in the lineup showing you that you know I'm ready to take a, a bigger role and I'm gonna I'm gonna come together and start playing a little bit better and being more productive to to allow you to get that balance. So, you know, I I I don't think there's any question that you're probably going to be forced to at some time to tinker a little bit, but uh, it's the old adage: your players have to be the ones that are are able to find a way and take ownership and, and try to turn things around. And we just listed a bunch of names that, quite frankly, giving them more ice time if they're not taking advantage of it is, is going to be another exercise in frustration too. It, that Players got to play and they got to find a way to, to be more productive and until you're going to get some of that production there. I think you're going to have some of those nights again where uh, you're close but you're not quite there as a team.
0: Well, plus there's—it's not the time for experimenting right now. They—they they only find themselves four points up on the uh, the the first team on the outside of the Eastern conference playoff picture looking in, it was the team that uh, they just lost to in regulation on Monday, the Islanders. This is a position we're not used to seeing this Leafs team in Craig, and maybe it will be different by the end of the season, but yeah, usually in February we're talking about, Oh, it's well, I can tell you specifically last season, they were double digits behind the Bruins for top spot in the Atlantic and double digits up on the fourth place team in the Atlantic. They were locked into their playoff matchup against the lightning already at this point in the season do you view that as a positive? That there's games of, of real import for this team to play down the stretch.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have any problem at all of, of being in a bit of a grind uh, all year long. I, I think there's there's part of that that gets you comfortable being uncomfortable as a player. It gets you, you know, uh, in a situation where you know this kind of pressure or these kind of tight games always show up come playoff time and if you're not in that mindset of understanding how you got to find a way to win or stay in a game when maybe you're not playing your best uh, you know you look at the example of Florida last year team that was basically playing playoff style games for the last 40 plus games of the season. Um, You know, I think there is something to say collectively as a team that you don't panic. You don't overreact when you're maybe not playing your best. You're not in a, okay, we know where we're going to be. So we'll just wait and try to dig ourselves out of it. uh, Once playoffs start, I I think there's something to be said to having a little bit of anxiety during the year, a little bit of pressure during the year, uh, finding ways to win different ways throughout the year. And maybe, you know, battling through different times when you're not maybe playing your best, but still staying in games, and you know that's the kind of hockey you're going to need to play when you're playing in the playoffs. And uh, having a little taste of that and getting comfortable feeling, you know, that kind of pressure, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a negative thing for them.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't uh, disagree with you there. Just last one uh, b- before I let you go. Just on the, the East as a whole, you know, it's amazing how things can flip in a year. It felt like all the good teams were in the East last year and everybody was loading up. And, you know, I'm not pouring dirt on any of these Eastern Conference teams, but it's everybody in the West who who's loading up and they seem to be the teams kind of, you know, to have found their footing this year. You know, I know hockey's a parody sport, and you could say it's wide open every year, but does it not feel like the East is as wide open as you can ever remember? I mean, obviously, the Lightning, or not ever remember, but in recent vintage anyways. Like, Lightning aren't what they were once. Boston, they have their holes as well. Like, it just seems like the East is, you know, as much a crapshoot as as any time it's been.
2: Yeah, no, no question. I think it does go in little cycles like that, and, and it is one that you know, further to what we were just saying, that uh, I don't think there's, you know, anybody who can really handicap and say, okay, well, what's going to happen from here, right? Uh, At least the fact you're looking and saying there doesn't seem to be one team that you go, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to between them and them come playoff time. I think this is what makes it interesting that you don't always have to, you know, formulate your best during the regular season, doesn't always transfer into into being the best playoff team, and I guess Boston's the best example of that last year. You know, mm. uh, a, a year for the ages, but who cares? Who's going to remember that? You know, once you get to uh, to playoff time. So I do think it's wide open, and that's why I said you, you can't be in panic mode all the time, but you do have to find a way to change the way that you're playing, and I, I think that's the task over this last what thirty four games is. Uh, you know, how can you come together with a formula that you're playing your best hockey when you need to, and that's, you know, at the end of, of April.
0: Yeah, uh, so 50% of the time, Sheldon Keefe says that they have reached their potential. Maybe maybe we'll get the, the good coin flip game tonight against the, the <laughs> Dallas Stars on Sportsnet. Uh, Craig, thanks for this. All right, thanks for having me on. Take There's, care. Uh, you too. Craig Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom Visit com. I feel like Matthew Nyes is mm-hmm. a guy that's kind of going under the radar in our discussion about guys underperforming. And we're, hey, he has mitigating factors, by which I mean, like, he's just getting his feet wet. Mm-hmm. just th- a baby. Yeah. Okay. He's played in the NHL before, and he's been given this incredible, yep. incredible opportunity. Boy, it's hard not to think wistfully back at your boy, Michael Bunting. Mm. And, oh, 23 goals. Who couldn't score 23 goals given the opportunity that Michael Bunting got? I think, like, talent for talent, human being for human being, we would say, yeah, Matthew Nyes, it feels like a pretty good bet to get, like, 23. We're not talking about 70 goals, 23 goals. And, like you say, Callie Yarncroft still, before he got injured, was on pace for around 20 goals. Like, the bar is low for these people. Mm -hmm. Matthew Nyes... Has eight goals in 46 games this season. Like, it's, it's time to, like, actually put the puck in the back of the net, not just look right. And I know he looked real good mm-hmm. on Monday in his first game back and only played 40 total games last year. When you're talking about his college career mm-hmm. and adjusting to an 82-game schedule. But yeah.
1: come on, man. Like, start scoring. Well, I don't, I don't disagree. You want a little bit more from him. But what do you let – me, let me pose this question to you. In Matthew Dye's best career season in the NHL. How many goals do you think he's going to score? I
0: would hope that he has a 30-goal season in him.
1: I'd I'd hope as well. I don't know that it's a guarantee, a lead pipe lock, that he's a 30-goal man. And if you think he's a 25, 30-goal guy, a guy in his first full NHL season, you know, being on pace for 18, it's not setting the world on fire, but this is what ha- this is what young players look like. Like, we got to remember who he is, okay? Yes, I know he really took a leap after the draft, and we all thought he was going to be the super prospect, but the expectations that have been set here are not set by guys that are nice pieces to have. They've been set by first overall picks or Mitch Marner or William Nylander. So, you know, why, like, why do we have earth-shattering expectations for Nick? Think- do you think Nick Robertson should be scored? Like, and I've, it's finally happened for him. Mm-hmm. At his sixth bite at the apple, it feels like mm-hmm. in the NHL right now. So and I just both look guys at his second round. That's picks. the thing. That's why I use him as the example. It's mm-hmm. like, it's the exact guy there of, yes, yeah, skilly guy, tooly guy, maybe could have gone in the first round, fell, had a nice draft plus one year. And here you are. If Nick Robertson, and I understand, different player, that's part of the reason why I'm okay with it with Nyes, is because you do actually get. Some other things out of him, and I think Robertson's made strides. But if Nick Robertson is not that guy yet, and I understand in more limited time and with less lesser line mates, mm. why should we expect Matthew Nice to be? Well, I do. And despite the fact that I think
0: Nick Robertson has more physical gifts as far as putting the puck in the back of the net, like just physically, they're different. Pe- they're different. Like Matthew Nice feels like he's not going to get pushed off an NHL like, ice surface. I don't like, think he will. You can see that situation happening very much and it has happened yeah. with nick robertson so i thought the acclamation process would be a little bit easier but and it again gi- and given the opportunity for matthew nyes mm-hmm. also
1: well and i am look i'm happy you brought up the bunting thing because the thing i hammered home over and over and over again was not that you had to pay michael bunting was not that you had to bring him back but it was not taking for granted the chemistry and like i want to be very clear about this i am not saying michael bunting is zach hyman but that was the thing everyone took took for granted with Zach Hyman was, yeah, the worker stuff. Everyone loved that. But it was the chemistry with Matthews. When you have a guy who has chemistry with your guy, the guy who matters the most and will always matter the most so long as he's on this franchise, it's not to say you have to move heaven and earth to keep him here. Probably should have done that with Hyman. I'm not saying you had to with Bunting. But, you know, Chris Kunitz... And again, like very different players. There's a reason he was stapled to Sidney Crosby for all those years. Because guess what? You want to make your best players at the best version of themselves possible. And everyone said, oh, it's going to be no problem. It's going to Chemistry is a thing that you can think you know and you can try to piece it together. But until you see it, you'll never know. And the Leafs have had two guys on the left side with Matthews that had good chemistry with them. One of them was an amazing player, going to be on Team Canada and Zach Hyman. But Michael Bunting... Had chemistry with that guy, with those guys, and you, like, do I think he's he changes the world for this team? God no. But would I rather have him at four eight or whatever it is than Bird at five five or Klingberg at four one? Yeah, of course.
0: God, we don't talk enough about the Zach Hyman sliding doors, and he gets five and a half. I think with it's because it's just
1: actually too sad.
0: It's, and he wasn't drafted by the Maple Leafs, but developed
1: no, entirely. the greatest trade in Maple Leafs franchise history, Greg McKegg for Zach Hyman. And, I mean, you're talking about diversity mm, of Babs skill set. Too. Diversity of skill set.
0: I mean, he makes five and a half playing in Edmonton. What was the price to bring him back
1: to Toronto? Maybe it was less. Yeah, maybe like I think a hair less, but it's probably close. Like, okay, but obviously, like yeah, retrospect. Yeah, <laughs> Yo, hindsight, hindsight's 60 mean, on this. Even, one. Even, yeah,
0: even without him being on pace to, to score fifty goals in the season. No, if way.
1: he was just if he was just worker B Zach Hyman, <laughs> you would pay him five five. Whoops! In hindsight. Uh, whoops! Whoops! But yeah, you win some, you lose some because yeah, okay, Jack
0: hey, Campbell. That's right. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Not paying that price. It's true. Okay.
1: Good job by you bringing that
0: up. All right. And Michael Bunting. Thank you for that. Due to the overwhelming demand, Creed has added another Toronto show as part of their Are You Ready Tour. It will be playing with Finger Eleven and Mammoth WVH at Scotiabank Arena on November 27th. We have tickets to give away. To enter, listen to the fan morning show for the code word, then text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Don't Stop Dancing. Text, don't stop dancing, to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. We have another pair of tickets to give away on tomorrow's show, but if you don't win with us, tickets officially on sale this Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, on Ticketmaster.ca. When we come back, we will learn the fate of one Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today, as his arbitration award hearing uh, will conclude sometime this afternoon. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben his Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
3: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Fan morning show, Sportsnet 590, the fan Ben and spring gunning. One week from tomorrow in Dunedin, Florida. Mm. Toronto Blue Jays pitchers and catchers will officially report. Here's my guess. They're already there. Well, these guys spend a lot of their off season down in Dunedin, Florida, and especially the way that that facility has been revamped I've over heard, the years I've heard it's wonderful yes which is supposed to make us feel really good that the millionaire athletes get a beautiful place no to no practice. no you're
1: supposed to feel good that one particular nearly billionaire athlete yeah. thought it was really nice and but not did. nice enough no but really nice that's what you're <laughs> supposed to feel good about not a nice enough to tip the scale no but in like but really nice and there's no doubt like that there's i haven't
0: seen a report to the contrary that's true yeah, wasn't the reason it's like not like Shohei Ohtani showed up in Dunedin is like this is the, the thing you guys are making a big deal about. No, it was like the other like, wow. thing that like he was always going to go to the Dodgers and yeah. they gave him 700 million dollars in air quotes over the next 10 they billion did, years. They did give him a lot of money that much. I can confirm. Sure, 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 All right. Speaking of a lot of money, here's a man that makes a lot of it. Ben Nicholson Smith, the at the letters podcast and Sportsnet sportsnet.ca. How's it going, Benny?
3: It's going great um that's the first time i've been introduced that way but i'm, I'm happy
0: to make that don't, don't deny the reality of the fact right you're a superstar at sportsnet and compensated uh as such all baseball right. editor yeah <laughs> all right um so let's let's talk about the news of the day vlad jr did go to an arbitration hearing reportedly yesterday we're expecting a verdict today on uh, whether he's won or whether the Blue Jays have won. There's no real loser. It's just a couple of winners, potentially. Um, that's kind of besides the point. I, I honestly don't care about that. that. To me, the damage, if there is damage, is already done. Uh, how hard do you think the Blue Jays tried to avoid this? Because we know they they tried like heck to avoid the one with Bo and were successful in that regard.
3: Well, it doesn't seem like they were... I mean, end of the day, they went to a hearing. So, yeah, I mean, if they tried to avoid it, they certainly didn't succeed. I don't think that it's necessarily catastrophic to go to a hearing, but it's not a good thing. It's It definitely doesn't nudge things in a positive direction. There is the potential for feelings to be hurt, for things to be said that can't be unsaid. Um, anytime that you're going to arbitration with one of your best players, one of your most important players, and that's what happened yesterday. So, Definitely not a good thing. Um, you know, whether they tried to avoid it, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I end of the day, it's on them to avoid it or not. And they didn't avoid it. So, you know, here we are. I, I don't think it's a great situation. But but again, I don't think this is catastrophic. I don't think that this will totally undermine a relationship that has been nine years in the making. But, um, you know, this is we'll, we'll see who won. But like you say, Ben, I mean, I, I think that either way, things have been said in that room by this point.
1: Yeah, they they certainly would be. Uh, maybe the 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 theory I posited was maybe things weren't even said. They just pointed at a picture of him getting picked off at second base in the playoffs and said, "Look at that. Uh, what, what's that do uh, to to your numbers?" You know, in terms of in terms of Vladdy in the future here, I I think what you say is mostly right. The idea that the proof will be in the pudding in terms of production, right? Like if Vladdy produces, and you know, I suppose that, that, that the have Relationship could have been damaged in some way, but I feel like if Vladi produ- produces that almost certainly and you know baseball's a weird sport, so maybe not, but that almost certainly means the blue Jays are going to have a pretty good season i be, I feel pretty confident in that, and if the team is winning and he's producing, I just don't see how anything said in the room could damage things you know to a point where it's irreconcilable differences like that's kind of the way i I look at this thing ben
3: yeah i I agree, and I think that you know you can look to examples of players who have gone to arbitration hearings and, and then it kind of recedes into the past, whether that's, you know, Max Freed is, you know, probably going to test free agency with Atlanta, but he's still probably going to be a really productive pitcher this year in his walk year, or Kyle Tucker with the Houston Astros went to arbitration last year. He's someone who, you know, I wouldn't be that surprised if he's one of the next Astros to be extended. He also might test free agency, but he'll probably be a really productive player in the meantime. And so yeah, this is. there are still scenarios here where Vladdy goes out and has a huge 2024 season, and maybe they talk extension a year from now, or maybe it ends up being that he does test free agency after the 2025 season. But I, I don't know that this one arbitration hearing is going to be the determining factor. I mean, the Jays have had a lot of chances to get to know Vladdy, and Vladdy has had a lot of chances to get to know the Jays. So this is a relationship that it has been made up of a lot of different events.
0: Yeah, and the difference between the two asks is uh, 1.4, uh, sorry, it's, uh, it's more than that. It's uh, $1.85 uh, million between the team and the player ask. Um, so we, we talk about the negative potential side effects of going to an arbitration hearing. I posited the possibility, and maybe you can speak to this, like if we're going to take a glass half full approach or or maybe try and read into the thinking of of the Blue Jays, Hey, maybe, maybe they do look at this as a motivating factor. Vlad understands that he hasn't performed to the way that he expects, and he's been open and honest in interviews, and this isn't the first time we've had a, a preseason where he's had to do that type of uh, interview and, and have those type of comments. Is it possible at all, Ben, that the, the team looks at this as, hey, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that Vlad gets like a real concrete example of, hey, we the team aren't 100% sure you're the guy we thought you'd be.
3: You know that's an interesting read on it. It wouldn't be my framing of things. I mean, I think that based on what we saw this off season, based on everything that we've seen from Vlad Guerrero Jr., he seems like a, a motivated player. I don't think that motivation has been lacking for him um, in the last few years. You, we see the work that he's put in in the off seasons. Um, you know, you think of some of the some of the shortcomings that he's had as a player, and it's been. You know, maybe at times he's had some mental lapses. We can think of the postseason and getting picked off second base. That's inexcusable. You cannot have that happen with your season on the line. That was not acceptable in any way, shape, or form as a baseball player. Um, But I don't think it was for lack of uh, caring or crying. I think it was a a mental mistake that that can happen in the course of of a season. Um, Even with respect to, you know, his months I mean he's trying to hit the ball hard he does hit the ball hard he hits the ball as hard as anyone a lot of the time it just was hitting gloves in center field or in right center or in left center he's going 115 off the bat finding a glove in center field so it's not a lack of effort I don't think that lack of lack of motivation or effort is there for Vladdy having gotten to know him and and watched him up close in the course of his entire career I, I think the motivation is there I think it's more a question of He's got to have a better plate approach. He can't be chasing sliders off the plate. Um, again, that's not, I don't think that's a question of effort. I think there is sometimes a question of focus and really dialing in, in the, in the right way, um, which is not an easy thing to do when you're facing the best pitchers in the world. But I, I think the motivation is there and I don't think that he needs an arbitration hearing to give him more motivation.
0: How much of an outlier are Vlad and Bo now? As we see, Bobby Witt Jr., the most recent young star in Major League Baseball, to sign an extension, an 11-year deal worth almost 300 million. It could, it could go up to almost 400 million dollars. Is the Kansas City freaking Royals okay? And Juan Soto, he was a guy that didn't sign. He was offered more than 400 million dollars from the Washington Nationals. Every young star in the sport is either signed a contract or has been offered a contract, and it hasn't happened yet with the Orioles guys. But who doesn't think that that's like happening tomorrow with the new ownership there, Vlad and Bo, we've, we've never heard discussions about, I mean, okay, we've heard, I shouldn't say that we've heard discussions like, like real peripheral conversations, but nothing of any meaningful substance between the team and those players. And even guys with, you know, major league fathers and Fernando Tatis Jr. They've all signed deals. Like what, what's going on here?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think you're right to point out that contrast, right? Because there are a ton of players who have signed these big deals. Um, I think for the Blue Jays to do that, the window was a few years ago. And it was probably, in Vlad Jr.'s case, it was probably after his breakout 2021 season. And if the Jays had come to him at that point with a contract that started with the three, maybe they would have got something done. Um, And maybe we would be talking about him as the franchise cornerstone um, who is definitively going to be their first baseman for the next 10 years. Um, it just didn't happen that way. Um, in the case of Bo Bichette, same thing. I mean, I think that the time probably would have been a couple of years ago to get that done. And I, in both cases, there were just extension talks. I mean, it, talks have been held. And, of course, nothing really matters until you get it close to, or across the finish line. And clearly that hasn't happened. and may not happen at this point. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of factors involved, right? It's, it comes down to, I do think that the resources would be there. If, if Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins felt like these guys were definitively going to be, you know, slam dunk, middle of the order, middle of the diamond players for the next eight, eight years, then, you know, that, that would be something that I think that the resources would be there for. Um but, but, maybe there's some questions and and it comes down to also a willingness on the part of the player to try to get that done,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah i, I but to me, it feels like th- this front office has decided that those uh, those deals that everybody else is signing are bad ones, like that they're gonna be the smart guys that everybody else it is a hive mind, like I said, like everybody else has has signed their young players to to extensions to me and it it's it's over, it's done right? there's only two years left, like the idea of of some extension that you know shared risk there's no risk for the players anymore there's they're free agencies right there it feels like Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have decided oh everybody else that's signing these young players these unproven players like they're all going to be John Singleton and a big mistake
3: well and at a certain point you can talk yourself out of players really easily both in free agency and when it comes to extensions and you know I think to some extent it sort of feels like that's how this Blue Jays offseason is gone and again They have a good team. They have a chance to win in the playoffs and make the playoffs and and really have a different story for themselves in 2024. But this offseason, of course, it was all about Shohei Otani and the excitement there. And then after that, it sort of feels like the the vibe was – you know what, it's not worth going after these guys when you think about the risk. And there are rational arguments to be made for that, but it's not especially exciting. And it does mean that you end up with worse players sometimes. So they're going to have some work to do in season to patch this up. They're going to have to find internal guys um, to to really step up, whether it's a Tiedemann or a Palmigiani or whether it's an Alan Roden or a Ralvis Martinez, because when you look major league talent in the face and you decide that the risk reward isn't worth it at that moment in time, a lot of the time it just means that you end up with less major league talent on your team.
1: Yeah, there's certainly uh, an element to that, and you know, I I think it's 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 a good point that you bring up about the idea of yes, the off season has certainly seemed doom and gloom, but there is you know there's reasons for optimism with this team. To your point, you know, all teams if they think they have a chance, they're going to have to go into the deadline and supplement here and there. Maybe it's a bat, maybe it's an arm. You know, we've we've seen the Jays do this in years past, but you know, it gets harder and harder as you make more and more of those moves without supplementing your your farm system. We saw the Baseball America rankings; I think they were at 24. Keith Law put out his list. Uh, The Jays do have three top hundred guys uh, but, you know, the highest of them, Tiedemann, he he dropped a little in those rankings. Just in terms of where, you know, we focus so much on the Major League Club and rightfully so, but in terms of where the Jays are at, if they do, let's say things do go swimmingly this year and it's, you know, Vlad's hitting and Bo picked up right where he left off and the pitching is still really good and they do have to add, do you think they're in a position to to still be able to push in and and make you know, those additions that, that we think they'll need to make if they if they're a team that proves they can
3: compete i do think so because when you look at this blue jays team on paper at least their pitching should be pretty good and usually what's the hardest thing to acquire at the trade deadline is pitching Yeah, really pricey yeah Yeah. so uh, you know if you have kevin gosman chris bassett and jose burrios at the top of your rotation then you probably don't need to be out there trying to be the high bidder on whoever the ace starting pitcher is. And, and same for the bullpen, which looks to be pretty good. I mean, of course, you know, the, you're know you always going to be looking to add in the bullpen, mm-hmm. um, but there are ways to do that. So I, I think that at the trade deadline, historically, the Blue Jays have added. Historically, they've been able to spend and they've been able to, you know, trade the prospects that, that are required to make those ads. I think that's going to be very, very doable. Um, it's a question of making the right ads. And, you know, we saw last summer, you know, they didn't really find that bat that they probably needed. They end up going with David Schneider. That sort of works, but they probably could have used more offense. We saw in the playoffs, they did not have enough offensive. How
1: dare you denigrate the Babe? sort of worked. We'll always have that weekend at Fenway.
3: (laughs) It was one of the season highlights last year. Right. So no debate. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think that they'll be able to add it's a question of can they make the right ones and and look last year it didn't happen. They didn't make the right ones
1: no, uh they did add they they added. I mean they made some of the right ones like Hicks was <laughs> a pretty nice pickup right like I think it's to your point it's just the bat that they mm-hmm. missed out on the the ads they made were good they just they needed the bat they did and they they did
0: factually add a player this off season. Um it's a guy that's gonna backfill the production. Of uh, Brandon Belt, who was at times this team's best player uh, offensively a season ago, but like a pure DH and Justin Turner is pretty close to that. He's thirty nine years old. He did play forty six times, like he got forty six starts last season with the Red Sox in the field. Now played more first base and second base than third base, but we know him. I you know remember is, is his best is a third baseman obviously this Blue Jays team has a need at that position, unless you're a believer of Isaiah Kiner Falefa, of which I'm not. Um do you think that number is higher than forty six or lower? I mean he's thirty nine, but God, the Blue Jays have a real need at a position that he plays.
3: Yeah, I think it I think you just go week by week. And so if I had to guess right now, I'd take the under on forty six. But I think to start the season, if Justin Turner's healthy, yeah, roll him out there. You know, get get some third base reps out of him while well, you can, because you don't know what's going to happen later in the season. Um, and that allows you to have a better offensive lineup out there. Um, especially, you know, if you are facing a left-handed pitcher, maybe that means IKS and left. Maybe that means you DH one of the catchers. You get more right-handed bats in there. You don't have Dalton Barshow against the lefty, for example, um, depending on all sorts of factors. But I would, I would definitely be inclined to try Justin Turner at third base even a little first, he needs a day off his feet. Mm-hmm. You can do that and, and give Turner reps in the field. But look, he's brought here to be a DH. The Blue Jays see him mostly as a DH. And I fully expect that most, you know, the vast majority of his at-bats this year will come as the DH.
0: Ben, are you going to, is someone going to write the story about the, the guy that's in charge of cleaning the uniforms and how they get the pine tar out of the back of Justin Turner's jersey? Like, how does that happen?
3: These are the important questions that need to be asked. But you're right. I can just picture that line going <laughs> yeah. down the right side of his jersey. Yeah, it's uh, someone's going to have their work cut out for them.
1: Well, hey, you know, we know part of the Otani signing was all the ad revenue. It's yes. like I feel like a laundry detergent company like should be <laughs> right. all over that.
0: Yeah, that seems smart. Yeah, uh, idea. I, uh, Ilya Mikheyev with the soup stuff. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Honestly,
1: yeah, if Mikheyev can get a soup sponsorship
0: hundred uh, percent, Ben. Uh, always a pleasure, buddy. Uh, we'll talk you again soon. Thanks, man. Sounds good, guys. Anytime. There's Ben Nicholson Smith of the At the Letters podcast and uh, Sportsnet Sportsnet So it's over now. Blue Jays. Well, what? It's over in what multiple of, respects. What? what happened? Like the maybe. show, or what? Life. Well, what? also the show. Um, but maybe the Blue Jays <laughs> competitive window. Um, Blue Jays idea of of. Keeping Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out of an arbitration room—that's over. The idea of signing Vlad and Bo to deals that everybody else around Major League Baseball mm-hmm. signed their players to—it's over. It's done. We're too yep. close to their free agency, and Bo is factually under contract through his arbitration year. So you just you you'd be paying the free agent rate on Bo Bichette. Same with Vlad, considering he's now just two years away from free agency as well. The time for the Bobby Witt Jr. deal, the time for the Julio Rodriguez deal, the time for the Ronald Acuna deal, the time for...
1: Albies. The, the, Tatis. Ozzy
0: Albies, the Fernando Tatis Jr., the Corbin Carroll. Like, everybody in Major League Baseball that's a young up-and-coming player has signed beyond their years of arbitration into free agency, and it's shared risk. Mm-hmm. And certainly the Blue Jays had conversations with those players about a shared risk contract. I, Unless the idea was always, hey, we're going to pivot to a rebuild after these guys if we don't win with them anyways. So what, we can't have them hanging around for a not very good baseball team. We'll just mm-hmm. trade them and reset the timeline then either way. If that wasn't part of the thinking, then it's been a mistake. Because there's no doubt those deals are they they look better on your books than the way these next 2 years of arbitration and then certainly if you go beyond signing them into their free agent years, are going to look.
1: I don't disagree. The one thing I'd throw there is that if you are a believer that you weren't certain of what those guys were, and I don't think that's the case, that that's part of the benefit of having the financial might that the Jays do, is that they don't necessarily need to have it be the potentially a little bit cheaper deal they could have got two or three years ago. Like, there's nothing precluding them from paying those guys if they prove they're worth it. Sure, but who, who wants to spend the most money for a thing?
0: Certainly not you. No. Certainly not me.
1: No. All Probably right. not the Blue Jays.
0: Uh, we'll be back tomorrow the Fan Morning Show. Bananas, Frank Gunning, Sports F59 fan. Good morning.